All right, how's everyone doing? <clears throat> All right, well, it's good to be here. Uh, my name is Isaac, and uh, I'm the discipleship pastor uh, here at The Experience, and uh, man, it's really good to be here with you and be able to speak through God's Word. If you are new, if this is your very first time here, I want to welcome you to The Experience and just let you know a couple of things if you are new. Uh, number one, you typically would not hear from me. Uh, you typically hear from our lead pastor, Pastor Corey Trimble. Um, he's actually in our... Um, He's down in Shelbyville, actually. There's, you know, an opportunity to be able to maybe have a experienced community church there, which is really exciting. Him and Kyle are down there this morning. And, um, but if you are new, uh, you would typically hear from him. And what we do here is we usually go through whole books of the Bible, and we go chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. And so we've been in the book of Philippians for the last couple of weeks. Pastor Corey talked through Philippians chapter two, and I will be walking through Philippians chapter three, and we'll kind of break that down today, all right? Before we get into it, I, I'm curious this morning, uh, how many of you have uh, been to another country? You, you've been to another country, a few of you, a lot, quite a bit of you, okay, been to a different country. How many of you have like, lived for maybe an extended period of time in another country? You spent a few months, maybe a few years, a few of y'all, okay. All right, all right, a few of y'all. So my wife and I, we were talking about it this week, and I was kind of thinking about Philippians 3, and we both have had the opportunity to live in another country. Uh, my, my wife lived in, in Quito, Ecuador for three months before we got married, and, uh, and then I spent six months in Germany. It was part of a military training. It was a non-combat tour, and I spent six months there. And those of you who've lived in another country, because I think there's a difference. If you've, if you've been to another country, it's kind of novel, it's quick, you see some things, and then you kind of move on. Uh, but when you, live into, uh, when you live in another country, you sort of settle in, and you start to see and notice all the, the subtleties and differences. Uh, and when I was in Germany, I was in a very small town in southern Germany, and uh, I, I didn't have a vehicle over there, and so they had a great train system. So I'd get on a train, kind of go to the next town and visit around the country. And uh, if you got sick of the army food, you could go just grocery shopping. We're in a little apartment thing. And so I took the train the next town over, and I would go grocery shopping. And I, and I definitely picked up on the subtleties and differences. You know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest, and we're, we're, I think, fairly friendly in the Midwest. Of course, in the South, we're really friendly. Wave at everyone. Say hi. And uh, in Germany, and this may not be true for everyone, but at least where I was at in these small German towns, like, you, you just don't, like, it's not as friendly. You don't just get to know everyone's name, say, hey, how are you doing? You know, it's like, you just want to tone that down a little bit, all right? Kind of, kind of back up a little bit, all right? Kind of ruining my space. And, and not only that, but not only did I notice these little subtleties and differences, I didn't, I didn't speak the language, you know? So there were things that I just didn't understand, I just didn't get, even after living there for, for a few months. You kind of, if you've ever had that experience living in a different country, you, you pick up on those things, right? I'm an American citizen. I was born here. There's, there's certain things that is ingrained in us as, as Americans, and I can't really change that no matter how long you may spend in a different sort of world. What's interesting about that is you sort of see this contrast. You see it in the Gospels and in Paul's letters, but you see it especially explicitly in Philippians chapter 3. You see this contrast of two worlds, the worldly, fleshly kingdom of course, Paul will say this several times about the flesh and the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the kingdom of God that, that is breaking in, and we kind of see the contrast between two worlds. And that's, that's our big idea this morning. Where are you living? Where are you a citizen of? Are you a citizen of the worldly, fleshly kingdom or the kingdom of heaven? Last week, Pastor Corey talked about Philippians 2, and the big idea was, are we adopting the attitude of Jesus. There's this beautiful part in, in, in chapter two that talks about Jesus and his humility and how he came to earth and took on flesh. And we're supposed to adapt and, and, and have the same attitude of Jesus. 
Then we kind of continue on in chapter three, talking about this, this kingdom life and living as citizens here on earth, living the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Before we get into chapter three and kind of break it down and really kind of pull apart what that looks like, uh, when you came in, you should have gotten a, a notes handout. Uh, if you did not, that's okay. Uh, we have an app. It is a really good app. I don't want to oversell it here, but it's a really good app. And uh, it, it's, uh, it has the sermon notes on there. So as soon as you open up that app, you can click on sermon notes and follow along with everything I'm going to talk about. It'll be on the screens as well. If you're watching online on YouTube or Facebook, I want to welcome you. You should have notes on your screen as well. And all that does is help us kind of follow along with the chapter, really break it down and take in God's word. All right. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into chapter three and we'll start with uh, verses one through six, kind of the back of the Bible, letters of Paul, and we're going to get into it. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll break it down. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for uh, just this community, God, that we can be here and fellowship and connect deeper with your word. And uh, God, I pray it would just change us and it would move us and help us to be more like you. God, we pray for our great nonprofits, Lord EEM and our local nonprofits. God, the work around the world is trying to build for your kingdom, God, here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we, we pray for our other churches in our community and in our nation and around the world who are trying to make disciples, who are making disciples. God, we pray for their success. We pray that you'll help us and them to do your work. Lord, we love you and pray these things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we'll start in verses one through six. This is Paul writing to this community in Philippi, and he continues on here as we look in chapter three. It says, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh, he says. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, I was born of the nation of Israel, part of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. And regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless, blameless. Paul lists his fleshly, worldly resume, his religious resume. But you see at the very beginning of this section, there's kind of this shift in Paul's letter. And, and, and you see he says this, this, this phrase, rejoice in the Lord. And that is a recurring theme throughout Philippians where he says rejoice, have joy, rejoice. But in this part in particular, he says rejoice in the Lord. He makes clear that we cannot have true joy. We cannot truly rejoice unless we are in God, unless we are found in him. And what that does, he says, it protects us from the worldly, fleshly influence of the worldly kingdom. And in this particular context that Paul is writing, he says it's protection from, he says, those dogs. And that's actually really, really strong language because dogs were considered really dirty and, and, and awful in that culture. And so he's calling the, the, this worldly influence dogs. And it, it, the translation is literally the bad works people. The people are focused on the wrong works, the bad works. And they're distorting what it means to actually follow God and to be in him and to follow after Jesus. Now, a little bit of context here. I think this is important for this particular part. It's really important for all of Paul's writings. But Paul is a Jew. He's writing to, to a Jewish and non-Jewish community. That's a part of the, the promise of God, that through the Jewish people, all people will have hope and purpose and find their way back to God. And so this, this new covenant is being born. The kingdom of heaven is breaking in, and he's writing to Jews and non-Jews alike. But there were some Jews in this community who were putting their identity in, they, in the wrong works. In this particular part, 
They're putting their hope in circumcision. And again, you see this through Paul's letters. It's so important for context as you read Paul's letters because sometimes you hear him talking about circumcision or ritual eating laws, and you're like, what's that all about? And people are putting their hope and their confidence in the wrong works of what it means to actually be the people of God. See, Paul says what marks the true people of God are those who sincerely obey the Father through the Spirit because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. Essentially, the gospel is this. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot do life alone. We cannot live beyond our creator, the creator of the universe. Now, listen, this is another contextual thing that I think is really important to say. This is not a matter of Judaism versus Christianity. I think in Western Christianity, we sometimes confuse this in the Bible. We think, well, I'm a Christian. I identify as a Christian, and so this is like a Jewish problem. They focus on works, and we're Christians. We believe in faith, and so we're good. I'm, I'm a Christian. I've, I've been labeled as a Christian. That's not how it worked at all. Actually, Judaism was never meant to be a works-based religion. It, it was meant to be a connection between God, our creator, and, and to be in his very presence. But what you see here is the worldly, fleshly kingdom that constantly attacks the people of God. You see it as you read through the Old Testament and you read the story of the Israelites. They're supposed to make God king, and yet they were influenced by this fleshly, worldly, sinful influence that we can do it ourselves. We don't need God. We don't need him as our king. It's the same lie that we bought in the very beginning, in Genesis. You see this in the very beginning of the Bible where Satan sells this lie to humanity and says, you can be your own God. You don't need God. You can do life yourself. You can figure it out. You can help yourself. You can do it all on your own. This is not a Jewish versus Christian thing. It is the kingdom of God versus a worldly, fleshly, sinful kingdom. And it's infiltrated Christianity as well. We are not immune to this just because we label ourselves as Christians. We have our own sort of works or circumcision or rituals, right? We might say, well, I go to church. I serve occasionally. I give sometimes. But I have these things, and so therefore, I'm good. Look at me, I'm good. God, I'm doing all the right things. Yet we forget the heart of the gospel. We desperately need God. We need to be connected to our creator. That's what it means for heaven and earth to come together. But you see Paul, he lists his resume, right? He lists out his religious Jewish resume, and it's impressive, honestly. In fact, the, the number seven is sort of a side note, but the number seven was kind of this, this perfect number. And he lists seven things. He has this darn near perfect resume. And he says, look, look how good I am. Look at all the things that I could have put into to say that I am good. And we do that, don't we? We do that. We do that as humans. We say, hey, look how good I am, God. Look at the things that I'm doing. Look at how good I am at accomplishing these things in the world. That's the way of the world. We, we, we put our degrees up. We display them. There's nothing wrong with that unless we're putting our identity into it. But we display our degrees. We want people to see how good we are, how good we look, and all that we have. We're all about the material, physical display. But the kingdom of heaven is about God's work through us. You see it even in Philippians 2, and I'll, I'll even return to this and, and reference it. But he says, consider others better than yourselves. Don't focus on yourself. It's about God's work in and through us. And here's what God's kingdom produces. It produces love, genuine love for people. Pastor Corey talked about that last week. Do you really love people? Do you genuinely love people? It produces joy and peace in a broken, tumultuous world. Man, isn't there a lot of craziness that's going on in our world? And God's kingdom produces in us this joy and this peace 
that produces justice, not the justice of the world, but true justice, that makes things right, that are broken within us. It's, it's, it's making us new and bringing justice to our hearts and our minds. God's kingdom brings beauty, true beauty, not the outside beauty where we put stock in just the, the, the physical things, but, but true, deep, majestic beauty. God's kingdom brings forgiveness and grace for others. Now hear, the, hear this. These things cannot be put in a frame, can they? Right? We can't display these things. We can't, we, can't, we can't sort of put them out. Could you imagine you walk into you know, someone's office you know, and just have a you know, framed poster of you know, grace and peace and forgiveness? You're like, what's that? You're like, that's what God's doing in my life right there. You, know? like, you typically don't see that, right? We display all the things that we're doing, not what God is doing through us. I don't know if anybody has seen, maybe many of you have seen, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, right? Anybody seen that movie? It's a very popular movie. I'm not that old, but, but, but I think everyone should watch that movie, right? It's an older movie. But every year I have to watch It's a Wonderful Life. I, it drives my wife nuts because I don't like to watch movies over. I, I just don't, I won't watch movies over and over again. So one movie every year, Christmas time, I have to watch It's a Wonderful Life. And if you have not seen that movie, uh, there, there's this character, the antagonist throughout the movie, the, the bad character, named Mr. Potter. And he's this greedy, old, just curmudgeon of a character. He's just, he's just nasty. All he cares about is his stuff and, and building his wealth and, and kind, of, kind of pressing people with, with crushing them with what he has. And then you have the, 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 the protagonist, sort of the good character in the movie, which is the Bailey family, and particularly George Bailey. And there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where, where the patriarch uh, of the Bailey family, which they own this little building and loan, and they gave out money that they probably shouldn't, trying to help people in the community. And the patriarch, Mr. Bailey, dies at the beginning. Spoiler alert, I'm sorry if you haven't seen the movie. But at the very beginning, you see Mr. Potter, this greedy, wealthy person, kind of laying into the fact that Mr. Bailey gave away money and didn't save his money and didn't build his wealth and how foolish he was at running his business. And of course, George Bailey was about to leave, but he couldn't take it anymore. And he laid into Mr. Potter. He says, listen, you have all these things. And he said, my dad died a much richer man than you ever will. I love that line in that movie. But he says, all the things that my dad had, you can't get your fingers on. And it gnaws at you and it bothers you. You see, the, the things of the kingdom are not these material things that we can necessarily get our hands on. But they make an impact and a difference in a profound way. Where are you living? Are you living in this fleshly worldly kingdom, or are you living in the kingdom of God? Next part here, let's see what Paul says as he continues to break down the difference between the two. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and consider them as dung. That's really strong language. They're, they're, they're crap. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, the righteousness from God that is based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. I hope someday reach the resurrection from among the dead. So you have, if you haven't picked up on it now, and especially as you read through Paul, what the world values does not matter to God. What the world typically values, the fleshly kingdom, does not matter. And Paul gets this. You, you see this so clearly, right? Religious advantage, status, materials, even comforts Paul talks about. It's all dung. 
It's all crap. It does not matter. But here's what we do. Like we carry around our accomplishments and the things that we earn and the things that we gain, the things that we do, we carry around like it matters. Like, look at us. Look at me. Look how good I am. It's such a tendency for us in this fleshly worldly kingdom. But in comparison to God's power and his immense love and his purpose for our life, it sort of shrinks what our accomplishments can do and what they actually mean. See, our efforts cannot save our souls in this life or the next. It's so important. It's such, a, such an important theme throughout this. Our, our efforts cannot save our souls here or later. And it's, and it's absurd to the world to, to, to think this way. I think the worldly, fleshly kingdom is sort of, it confuses it. I have some really good friends. I'm really excited that they're, that they're coming to stay with us this week, hopefully. And uh, man, some really good friends we've had for years, my wife and I. And just recently, within the past year or so, they've been really discerning a call. They've been kind of trying to figure out what God is kind of leading them to do. But they've, they finally decided to go leave and go into the mission field. And they're kind of sacrificing a lot. They, my, my, my friend had you know, a great big family company that's made millions of dollars, been super successful. And he's sold his shares, sold his house. And him and his wife and their four kids are, are moving to the Dominican Republic to become missionaries. And it's sort of absurd to the world. Like, why would you do that? You had a successful business and a great house and a great, why would you do that? Now listen, not everyone here is called to go be a missionary. That's not what I'm saying. But we are all called to submit to the will of the Father and to do what he is asking us to do, to respond to God's spirit that is pressing upon our hearts and mind. That's what we're called to do. And sometimes it's confounding to the fleshly world around us. See, Paul says we cannot focus on the wrong things. We cannot focus our effort and our energy and our work on the wrong things. He says it is about faith. He says it twice in this section. It is about faith. It's about faith. But what is faith? What is it? We have to know what faith is if if Paul says it's about faith. Well, Well, let's start with this. Let's start with what faith is not. Because in our context, especially Southern Christianity or Western Christianity, we sometimes confuse what faith is. So I want to be very clear what it's not. It's not about this, and I've heard Pastor Corey talk about it, and we, we talk about it a lot here at The Experience. Faith is not about praying a prayer, getting your insurance policy for heaven, and then doing whatever you want and sitting idle. It's not about a minimum entry requirement. That's not what heaven is about. That is not faith. You can't say, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 13 or 14, and now I live like hell. That's not faith. That is not the kingdom. You see, that is actually what I would call bad theology, it's what some would call relocation theology. Well, I prayed a prayer, and then someday I'll be relocated to heaven, and I'll go there someday. No, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, we are citizens of heaven. He doesn't say we'll be citizens of heaven. We could be citizens of heaven. He says, we are citizens of heaven right now. You see, God is not about relocation. He's about restoration. He's about restoring our hearts and our minds. and restore. This is his world. He's restoring it. And so if we truly know God, heaven is filtering in. It's breaking in and making an impact and a difference even now. Are you with me? You hear what Paul is saying here as he says we are citizens of heaven. So Paul makes clear what faith is. And he says, I love this phrase. He says, it's about being found in Jesus. And it begs the question after you kind of read what Paul is saying. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Are you found in Jesus? St. Augustine, probably, what, 1,700 years ago, I think, St. Augustine said this. He says, our soul is restless until it rests in thee, O God. Are you found in Jesus? 
You know, we sort of wander as people, as humans. We wander and we find our identity in so many other things. We, we, our, our souls kind of are restless and we, we try to find our hope and our identity in, in, in a lot of things and we drift. Like, What are you finding your identity in right now? Is it your work? You spend all this time and energy trying to ascend the ranks and, 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 and try to achieve more and more and more. Do you find your identity in your looks? You spend all this time worrying about what you look like and what other people will perceive about you. Do you put your energy and identity into your net worth, how much money you have and your stuff and your house and your cars and all the things that you have that you worry about? Do you put your identity into your grades and it reflects your, your self-worth? Do you know you can put your identity in, in your religion? I mean, Paul was clear about that. You can put your identity in your religion. Do you put your identity in your kids and live vicariously through them. You see, to be found in Jesus, as Paul says, to be found in him means we know he loves us deeply. He desires a relationship with us. No matter what we do, no matter how we may feel about ourselves, he loves us immensely. And it's that love that moves us and changes us and compels us to live heaven on earth. You see, to know Jesus through faith means we live as Jesus lived. As Paul says, to suffer as Jesus suffered. In fact, he says that we should be conformed even to his death. Uh-oh, <laughs> that's pretty strong language, right? That Paul uses to suffer as Jesus suffered and to be conformed to his death. That's, that's pretty convicting and challenging because that's a much higher calling than, than just checking the religious boxes, isn't it? Much higher calling. You know, if someone gave me the option and they were like, hey, you can either, you know, just give and serve and, and go to church occasionally, or you have to suffer as Jesus suffered and be conformed to his death. I'd be like, how often do I have to go to church? <laughs> and, and how much do I have to give? Because I would rather do that than suffer as Jesus suffered and be conformed to his death. So what does it mean to suffer as Jesus suffered? What does that mean? Well, we look at the life of Jesus, and I think to suffer as Christ means to sacrifice time to disciple others. Look at the life of Jesus. He took the time to, to disciple others, to pour into others. His life was so relationally driven to help other people grow deeper. To suffer and sacrifice as Jesus means we love our enemies. We pray for those who hurt us and what we disagree with. Just read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Beatitudes. It's, it's an incredibly challenging picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like and what Jesus is calling us to do to suffer and to sacrifice to suffer and sacrifice like Jesus means we give money to help the poor. Listen, I can't speak for, for other churches. I don't know their budgets, but I know here clearly we give away 25% to try to help people and to, to give to nonprofits and to help in benevolence. We do that because we're building God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we give. That's why we sacrifice our money to help build for his kingdom. To sacrifice and to suffer as Jesus means we serve one another. Wait, I can't just come to church and leave and go back and, and just come and go. No, we're supposed to serve one another. I, I think it's an incredible thing, even just someone you know, passing out communion and passing out, they're serving one another. You're serving one another as Jesus called us to, to, to sacrifice and to serve. Faith is indeed a sacrifice. It's what we're called to do. You see, the sacrificial faith that we're called to is what heaven is all about. I heard, you know, a number of years ago, I heard this, it's sort of a silly story, so you have to bear with me, right? But I think it paints a really good, really good picture, right? It's a, it's a hypothetical story where a man dies, and in hypothetical stories, when a man dies, who do they usually meet when they go to heaven? Anybody? 
St. Pete, that's right, St. Peter. So this guy dies, he goes to, to, to the pearly gates and St. Peter meets him there, right? And as he's there, St. Peter gives him the option. He says, you can see heaven and hell both. I'll show you both. Which one do you want to see first? The guy says, well, let me see the bad first and then I'll, I'll see the better. So he's like, all right, well, I'll take you down to hell. So they walk down this long hallway. They go to this massive oak doors and they open up and this is odd scene. There's these long banquet tables and people are sitting across from each other at these long banquet tables and they're strapped in. And there's all this amazing food on the banquet tables, but, but they're suffering and dying and keeling over because they have no elbows and they can't feed themselves. And they also are without of reach from, from being able to go and, and eat the food in front of them. So there's just, people are starving and dying. And, and this guy looks at the scene. He's like, this is awful. This is truly hell. Like, get me out of here. So he leaves and they go down the hall. They walk to heaven. Similar scene, massive oak doors, opens up. And this is oddly familiar scene. These long banquet tables, people sitting across from each other, amazing food. People are strapped in and they have no elbows. And yet the difference is people are laughing and enjoying each other in full because instead of trying to feed themselves, they're feeding one another across the table. Now I hope, I hope heaven and hell is not like that. I don't think it's gonna be like that. But, but here's the difference between heaven and hell, the way we live and sacrifice for one another like Christ. I think it paints a picture of what heaven and hell are different, how they're different. You see, but here's what's key about what Paul is saying in particular in this section. Here's the key point. That sacrificial life is only possible through God's power. We cannot sacrifice for others. We cannot take time for others. We cannot love others. We cannot suffer as Christ and be conformed to his death without God's power. The power of the resurrection, as Paul says. Listen, it's the same power that instantly created life. You know, throughout this fast, I've been really trying to make sure I'm not watching secular media, but I've been, I've been watching a lot of documentaries about the, about the universe and the cosmos, just, just kind of reflecting on the wonder of God. And uh, I've been watching, it's kind of watch, driving my wife a little bit nuts, because all I've been watching is these like, documentaries about the cosmos and the universe. I've been watching this one actually called Cosmos on Disney+, Plus, and it's fascinating to see the expanse of the universe and, and, and just how small the earth is in and, and, and the grand scheme of things and how we're intricately designed, and, and it's just fascinating. And as followers of Jesus, we believe in a God who created all of that outside of space and time, and it just it blows my mind how powerful the God of the universe is. That same power is the power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, that defeated death. Do you believe in the power of that gospel? Do you believe in that power? You see, if we believe, we will be resurrected one day. But also, it's the same power that can change our lives today. His power can purify us from sin. His power can help us to serve others and to sacrifice time and energy. It's his power that can make an impact and a difference to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Where are you living right now? Are you living in the fleshly, worldly kingdom? Or are you living in the kingdom of heaven? Where are you at right now? Let's continue on what Paul is saying here in verses 12 through 16. He says this, not that I have already achieved or already reached the goal, it's comforting to hear, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us all who are mature think this way. 
And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. There's a very important line. We should live up to whatever truth we have already attained. Again, Paul sets a very high bar to what it means to, to follow Jesus and to live in, in, into the kingdom life, to be citizens of heaven, and to share in Christ's sufferings. And I'm, and I'm wondering, as he sets that high bar, has anyone attained the life of Jesus yet? Has anybody been there yet? You're, you're fully living the life of Jesus. You're perfect. And in one of the services last night, I, I asked that in a little kid's hand shot. <laughs> I was like, faith of a child. I love it. Like living it, living it, pure in heart. Not even Paul had that life, right? Hey, Paul said, I'm not perfect. I haven't attained this yet. I'm not there yet. I haven't quite got to all the places that Jesus has, suffering his sufferings, being conformed to his death. But Paul was still striving. It didn't stop him from striving for the life of Jesus. I heard it said like this recently. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. We should still give every effort to attain the life of Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself said, you should be perfect, Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's what Jesus tells us we should do. And in some, I guess, churchy words and, 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 and I guess church vernacular, some people will call that sanctification or, 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 or what's called the pursuit of holiness. All that means, those fancy terms, sanctification or the pursuit of holiness, what, what Paul is striving towards, all that means is that we are being made fully whole how we were intended to be, how we were created to be, that we were actually truly fully human as God created us, free of stress, free of shame, free of lies and fears and addictions. That's what heaven will be like. That's our pursuit. That's what we were supposed to be pursuing, the very kingdom of God. You see, that's the gospel message. In creation, God made us pure like him. Did, did you know that? The Garden of Eden wasn't someplace off in the cosmos. The Garden of Eden was here on earth where God and man were together. We were in relationship together. And he made us in his image to be pure like him, to be whole. But yet the fall of humanity distorted all that and it still colors all of humanity. And again, the lie that we bought was that we can be our own gods. We don't need God. We don't need our creator. We can do it ourselves. You see, it's only in Jesus that we can be restored back to God because the gospel message is that God entered time and space, he took on flesh, and he showed us what it truly means to be human. The only, the, the, the only picture we have to, 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 to know what it really means to be human is in Jesus. And to know what it means to live our purpose as human beings is to look at Jesus and to follow Jesus. That's the only way we can find our way back to God is through him. So as Paul says, that he was taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. Have you been taken a hold of by Jesus? Have you been captivated with Jesus of Nazareth? Have you fallen in love with him? Do you believe that God came to earth and walked it 2,000 years ago in Israel? Have you fallen in love with him? Do you trust Jesus? Listen, we can't make Jesus do what we want. We can't conform him to our will. We can't make Jesus who we want. Either we have to believe in the real Jesus or we don't. We can't make him do what we want. We have to be swept up and swept away by Jesus. Do you love him and do you trust him? Listen, we do live in a world, I think Paul recognizes this, we can all recognize this, but we live in a world with significant limitations, don't we? I mean, we have gravity itself, right, that grounds us. We can't just float away and do whatever we want. We have significant limitations. We also have the gravity of our sins and our failures, the incessant need to be wanted, to be loved, to be liked. I mean, we, we, we're just, we're grounded with the gravity of this worldly, fleshly kingdom. 
But here's what Paul says and what he appeals for in this community, and, and it kind of reverberates to all Christians throughout all generations. It says, we should be focused on God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What a powerful phrase. We should be focused on God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. That should be our focus. We should be focused on his call for our lives. And you know what his call is? To love God, to love people, and to make disciples. That's our heavenly call, to, 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 to build for his kingdom in that way. But what are you focused on in life right now? What's your pinnacle? What's your top pursuit? What are you pursuing in life? What are you hoping to achieve? What is your pursuit? What are you focused on? Is it God's heavenly call for your life, his purpose for you to love him and love others deeply and to build for his kingdom through discipleship? Are you focused on earthly things? Are you pursuing earthly, materialistic things? What is your pursuit? What is your focus? Again, the life of Jesus is a very high calling. But Paul realizes in the community of Philippi that everyone's in different places. In fact, he says, you know, some are mature and maybe some haven't yet got there. But, but he says this phrase, we must live up to whatever truth we have attained. Not only did Paul recognize in his community, people are at different places. Listen, all of us here in this community are in different places, right? <laughs> We're talking about the sufferings of Christ and being conformed to his death. And some people might be like, this is just my first time. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> this seems like a, a bit much, you know? Listen, we're all in different places. I mean, there might be some who, who aren't even sure yet, and you're not even sure about your, your, your belief in God, and you're not quite there. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you just started following after Jesus. You just started getting into to, to maybe a life group, and maybe you just started to kind of take some steps. You know what Paul says? Live up to the truth that you have already attained. What is God speaking to your heart and mind about? What are you supposed to be doing next? What is your next step? Listen, if you realize there's some sin in your life, You've been hiding some things. You've been hiding some junk. And God's spirit is speaking to your heart and mind. Confess it. Confession is rewarded here and not punished. If that's what God is speaking to you for your next step, live up to what you've attained. Maybe you've been in this church for a while and, and you've built some relationships and God has pressed on your heart and mind to start discipling people, to take that step to help them grow in their faith. Live up to the truth that you have attained, that you know God is calling you to. Maybe you've been here just kind of coming in and out and checking it out week after week, month after month, and you know, I need to start getting involved. I need to start serving others. I need to do something just to start serving and considering others better than myself. Take that step. That's your next step. Live up to the truth that you have attained. Maybe you do struggle with belief. You're not sure you buy the God of the universe who created all things and he came to earth and, 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 and broke into space and time, and yet you're, you may think, there's something pressing on my heart. Have you ever felt that? You know, just like, like this sort of pressure on your heart and your mind. And, and maybe you take the step and just believing and starting to follow after him. Live up to whatever God is working with in your life. That's what Paul calls us to do. Last part here, 17 through 21. Paul says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So the good thing 
about Jesus communities, right? Christian communities, the one that Paul is writing to in Philippi and and, and a Christian community like this, like the experience. The good thing is, is we're not in this alone. We're not trying to pursue Jesus alone, his call for our lives. And Paul says that we should pay careful attention to those who are living as mature and obedient followers of Jesus. I love that phrase, pay careful attention to those who are being obedient and following mature believers of Christ. And you can just tell people like that. I feel like you can just tell people who are mature, obedient followers of Jesus. It's, it's almost as if they're living in another world. They're, they're patient and they listen. They're kind. They, they're, they're kind of following what Philippians 2 says. They consider others better than themselves. They look to others' interests more than they look to their own. And you can just tell those sorts of people. Listen, Paul says, find those people and learn as much as you can from them. Pay careful attention. In fact, I think you should ask them to disciple you. If you see someone who's more obedient and mature in their faith, ask them to walk with you and help them help you to, to, to help grow deeper in your walk with Christ. Some people may think, well, where do I find those people? How do I find them? You have to be involved in community. You have to start serving, being in a life group, being involved in the community of Jesus followers. And I promise you, I, I look out in, in all of our services, there's a number of people in our community, you just know there's mature followers of Jesus who, who live this different life. They live the kingdom. Ask those people to walk with you and help you grow in your faith. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I had connected someone to, to um, uh, another mature believer, and they shot me a text like, man, I just feel like they're going to be, you know, appalled to me. And I thought, of course, like, they, I just, that I didn't surprise me. Their, their personality, their patience, their, their kindness, their goodness, I was like, yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense to me. You see, we need good community and people to look to because we can so easily get swept up into the worldly, fleshly focus, Right? I mean, I'm there. It's like, again, these limitations, we can easily get, get swept up into a worldly, fleshly focus. And Paul knows that. There are people who live like that. In this community, in Philippi that he's writing, and in, in, in our world around us, there are people who live as, as sort of enemies of the cross of Christ, as he said. He says those kind of people are focused on earthly things. The worldly, fleshly kingdom is all about this. It's very impulsive. It says their God is their stomach. I gotta have what I want, when I want. I gotta have it now. The fleshly, worldly life is materialistic. It's focused on the things that I have and I don't have. That's why the Ten Commandments says we should not covet our neighbors and what they have because the kingdom life that God calls us to is not about the materialistic things that we have and, and, and we gain and we earn. You see, the fleshly, worldly life is about me and my happiness and it's void of others. Again, I just keep going back to, to Philippians 2 when he says, consider others better than yourself. Do things for others and not just yourself. But the pursuit of happiness will step on anyone to get what it wants. Listen, I, I'm, I'm super grateful to be an American citizen. Sometimes I think, I, I, I don't know. You know, there's so many, there's so many third world countries and, and, and broken things around the world. How was, why was I blessed to be born in America? I, I, can't, I consider it an incredible blessing and, and I don't take it for granted to be an American citizen with, with broken nations and, 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 and broken you know, societies. But being an American is not the pinnacle of life. The pursuit of ha life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not the pinnacle of life. God's kingdom is the pinnacle of what it means to be human. Being an American citizen is only secondary to being a citizen of the kingdom. It's not about our happiness. That's what maybe the American ideal will tell you, but the kingdom ideal is so incredibly different. I see, we were meant for so much more than the material world. We were meant for so much more than, than the, I guess, the things that meet the eye. 
And so we should start living like it right now. Why would we wait till later if we are called to live for so much more right now? The Christian author, Dallas Willard, he says it like this. Eternity is now in session. It's now. You see, Jesus didn't just die and rise again from the dead for heaven someday later. He, he did do that too. He did die for heaven someday later, but he also died and rose again from the dead for heaven right now. He came to have us help have us to have purity in our heart and our mind. He, he, he came to bring heaven so that we can have patience and kindness and goodness now. How many of you want to go to heaven, right? I think all of us would say we want to go to heaven, right? Heaven is now. It's breaking in right now. Are you experiencing these things? Are you experiencing purity in your life? Are you experiencing patience and kindness and goodness right now? Are we experiencing these things? See, we're called to be citizens of heaven. Paul says so clearly. Now listen, Jesus will come again in his fullness. Paul says that at the very end of this section. He will come again in his fullness. He will put to death all the brokenness. He will, he will make all things right. And we have to be prepared for that day when Jesus comes again. And when he comes, we'll be made full and whole and good and fully pure. All the brokenness and all the sin and all the death, it'll be restored. But listen, the world to come will make no sense if we're not already living in it right now. The world to come will make no sense. When I was in high school, I, I loved to, 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 to play sports. I played baseball and I played football. And um, I know that may surprise some people <laughs> looking at me that I played football. Uh, but I loved it. I loved to play football. And, and I loved the games. I loved sort of the, the pageantry of Friday nights in, in, in high school. But I wasn't very good at, at practicing in high school. I, I, I would kind of goof around and joke around with my teammates. And, and I wasn't very focused during the week in practice and, and always goofing around. But then I would get frustrated when the game time came around because I wouldn't get playing time. I, I would miss some of the plays. I'd be sort of confused. And I would get kind of frustrated. And of course, and my coaches during the week when I was goofing around, they would call me names that <laughs> I can't repeat here because I was just always goofing around in practice. You see, the game never made sense because I didn't apply myself in practice. He heaven is going to be a lot like that. Heaven's not going to make any sense to us if we're not living heaven here on earth. I heard someone say it like this recently. Could you even stand heaven by the way you're living now? Are we experiencing God's goodness? Are we living in his kingdom today? The French philosopher, Voltaire, he wasn't even a believer, actually. This guy wasn't even a believer. But he noticed this about people. He noticed this about Christians. And I think this is a very good observation. He says, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Are you being held by God? Have you given your life to Jesus? Or are you trying to hold him? Are you trying to make Jesus into your image? Are you trying to make the Bible say what you want it to say so that you can do what you want when you want? Your time, your money, your energy, and occasionally you'll give some things over to God. Or does he hold your life? Are you being conformed to his will? Listen, have your lives, have our lives been taken a hold of by Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you, do you actually know him? Have you encountered him through his word? Has he spoken to you? Have you walked with him? Have you talked with him through community? Do you trust Jesus? Do you even believe in Jesus? That God came to earth 2,000 years ago, that he is real, and he speaks to us through his word. Listen, we cannot move forward in life unless we jump into the arms of Jesus and trust him. 
if we're taken a hold of by Jesus. Listen, maybe we do. Maybe, maybe there's some of us who, who do struggle with, with addiction. And there's a thing we keep going back to over and over and over. And, and we need to trust Jesus and be conformed. We'll never get over it if we, don't, if we don't submit to him, his community and his will. Maybe it is we have fears and anxieties and things that overwhelm us constantly. We'll never get over it if we, if we don't give ourselves to Jesus and submit to his will. We still are fighting against the fleshly kingdom that tries to infiltrate, but, but we can never kind of get over it unless we trust and jump into the arms of Christ. See, how we live now has an impact for eternity. I, I think sometimes it can be sort of misconstrued that, oh, so, you know, maybe we sort of live this, you know, life that is, you know, devoid of the earth and we're, we're not materialistic, so we're so kind of got our head in the clouds. That's not at all what Paul is saying. In fact, we take this life even more serious when we know that, 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 that we're living in it to eternity right now. In fact, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, seek first the kingdom, and unto you these things will be added. He says, why do you worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and what you look like? He says, look at the birds, look at the flowers, and I, I care for them, and they don't worry about it. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. It makes us better workers. It makes us more committed to people because we're authentic with people. We love people. Are we sacrificing time and energy for others? Are we taking our lives and, and sacrificing it for other people? Do we love God and do we love others? Where are you living right now? Are you living in heaven? Or are you living in hell? I even, I recognize this, that there are some people that are, that are living hell on earth living in, in a cycle of, of pain and lies, discontent, frustration. Listen, you can live hell now and it carries on to eternity as well. But thanks be to God that we don't have to live there. We still have the opportunity in this life to start living either in heaven or, or, or living in a different way. As enemies of the cross of Christ, as, 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 as Paul says. You don't have to live there. If you're living in a constant cycle of pain and addiction and discontent and frustration, you do not have to live there. Listen, thank God we have a community like this. Again, Paul is writing to this church in Philippi, this community where he's saying, look to others. We have a community like that. Thank God we have a church like this. I think this is a wonderful community, the experienced community. And we don't have to live this life alone. We can live the kingdom and we can encourage one another and we can do this together. And we need to look to others to help us to live that life? Are we living in a way that will prepare us for eternity? Well, Jesus even recognized us by the way that we're living now. In Matthew chapter seven, verse 23, it says that, that some will come to, to Jesus in the end and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. I don't even know you. And they said, well, we prophesied in your name. We did all these things. And Jesus says in that, that section in Matthew seven, it says, only those who do the will of the father. It's only those who submit to the will of the Father. It's exactly what we're talking about. What Paul says, live up to what you've already attained. What God is speaking to you about, what he's pressing on your heart and mind, submit to the will of the Father. It's only those who submit to the will of the Father. Not all the things that I have done to say that I am good, but those who submit to the will of the Father. We work and we worry and we toil away about temporary things that will mean very little in eternity. All of our stuff, our houses, our cars, all the things that practically help us to live life will mean very little in the cosmos, in the universe. Is that us? Are we so worried about our titles and our things? Where are we at today? Listen, I believe this with all my heart. The kingdom of heaven is real. It's breaking in now and it will be restored fully in the future. Listen, we can sense it. 
We can experience it. We can feel it. We can see the kingdom right now. Are you living in it? Are you experiencing it in your life? Are you experiencing God's goodness? Where are you at? Will you pray with me this morning? Before we pray, there's a couple ways in which we can respond this morning. One of them is to my right, your left, Pastor Muhammad is up here. He's over congregational care and and prayer. If maybe this morning you're in a place where you're like, I'm not sure I believe. I'm not sure where I even would take my next step. I have more questions than I have answers. Please come and talk with Pastor Muhammad. He would love to talk with you to help you figure out what a next step may look like. There's also men and women that are to the left and the right of the stage that, that would love to pray with you. We have a community of people who, who would love to pray with you and walk with you. Maybe it is something where you feel like, man, I, I need to take some steps in my life. I need to start serving others. I need, to, I need to start worrying less about the things that I have and more about God and others. Come and pray with them. They would love to pray with you. The last step that you can take this morning as a very practical step is when you came in, you should have gotten uh, a, a little cup of juice and a wafer that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no better reminder of the tangible God who came to earth than, than this. It's a reminder that he physically came to earth 2,000 years ago and died and rose from the dead. And here's what we ask this morning as a response, that you just submit to the will of God, that you pray, maybe you confess your sins, but that you examine yourself and submit to God before you take. That's all we ask, that you submit to the will of the Father, that you pray and submit. And maybe that is your response today. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your love and your mercy and for your word. God, I'm so grateful that your kingdom is breaking in now, that we can experience your purity and your goodness, God, if we'll just submit to your will and respond. God, help us. Help us to be more like you, God, that we may be little Christ, God, loving others and being like you. God, conform us to who you are, that we may live your kingdom now. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.